Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tone Show. I'm your host, James Intricasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetoneshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetoneshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online. They have any edition of any game, even out-of-print products. With Noble Knight, you can sell back your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a quick word from them. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday. Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store. Support small businesses that also exists online open 24 7 on the web they have D and other cool rpgs any edition any game even out of print products and at a discounted price that's out of control have a bunch of old game products collecting dust dangerous allergens Today, we're talking about the elemental evil storyline and how it affects the MMO, the tabletop game, and the release of a new board game that's coming out. But first, let's meet our panel. With me today at the round table, Gregory Blair. Howdy. John Fisher. Hey there. Mike Shea. Hello. And Dave Gibson. Hola. All right, gentlemen, today's get to know you question. What is your favorite alignment? Let's start with you, Greg Blair. I'm going to go with uh, neutral evil as my favorite alignment. Take what you want. The best that you can. Forget law. Forget randomness. I want my stuff, and I'm gonna get it. All right, a surprise alignment from Greg Blair: neutral evil. Be careful; he will stab you in the back. John Fisher, what is your favorite alignment? True neutral, because I love it when I cannot tell the difference between myself and a dog. That is what true <laughs> neutral is to me. <laughs> excellent excellent mike shea what is your favorite alignment i would i my my first reaction is to say chaotic evil because you can pretty much do anything else any of the other alignments as well um you can always go up from chaotic evil but i think i'm going to go with chaotic neutral because you're less likely to be hanged <laughs> yes yeah that's true you can still live a crazy life but not die by the noose um so although chaotic evil is a good dm answer I think. <laughs> uh, Dave Gibson, what is your favorite alignment? I got into D&D through Dragonlance, so balance is always kind of a big part of my how I viewed alignment. It's going to go neutral good, even though whenever I play neutral good character, everyone's like, yeah, what the hell's that? Are you just chaotic good, but don't want to take the full plunge? So <laughs> neutral good, that's me. I've never heard neutral good described that way before. <laughs> to me, it's, it's kind of like your quintessential Luke Skywalker-y alignment. You know, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was also thinking neutral good earlier. And then I thought, that's ah, not different enough from chaotic good. It's not my favorite. So, <laughs> David, so, yeah, I agree. That was my that was my number two. Well, we're going to talk about evil today, specifically elemental evil. So Wizards has officially announced that elemental evil is going to be their next storyline. And first, We are going to talk about the tabletop game because that's one of our favorite things here at the round table. So rumored, of course, and we covered this news before, were that two books were going to be released, two hardcovers as part of Elemental Evil. One was an adventurer's handbook. The other was a super adventure path taking characters from level 1 through 15 called Princes of the Apocalypse. Well, we found out Princes of the Apocalypse is indeed confirmed, is is indeed in a super adventure path that takes people from levels 1 to 15. However, it seems that the adventurer's handbook is not going to be coming out. Instead, there will be a downloadable PDF featuring some new races and other goodies for players to have what do you make of the news that there will be no adventurers handbook for me it says that they're committed sort of to this idea of quality over quantity and they didn't have enough to put out a hardcover book so they 
they're just going to put out the good stuff that they have in a PDF and, you know, hope that people then buy the accompanying adventure rather than try to put out a book that's mostly filler, not a lot of killer. Greg Blair, what is your opinion? Are you sad to see the Adventurer's Handbook go? Heck no, I think it's great. I think, with the exception of maybe uh, Pathfinder starting to get a little splat booky to a certain extent, um, I think they should steal as many things from those Pathfinder folks as possible. For every like cool adventure path they come out with, they release a free PDF of the player's guide and i think it's great that wizards is not only going to you know sell by releasing this free content for people to get a, uh, a look at and get players excited i think it's also great that that's just another digital avenue that they're releasing stuff through the more of that we get the better and it uh, helps my pocketbook a little bit there pocketbook cheese helps my wallet a little bit there. <laughs> so that's always a good thing Sure, and I certainly understand that, you know, uh, getting more stuff for free from Wizards is great. You can already play the basic game for free, so this is pretty cool. John Fisher, what do you think? Are you sad to see the Adventurer's Handbook go? I was trying to think of a funny thing to say, but no, I'm not sad to see it go, in reality. Uh, Mostly because, oh, you know what I did find, what I actually found interesting was that uh, it was almost like Wizards of the Coast is uh, trying to figure out uh, how that he can uh, piss off the most fans by being nice to them. Like I was amazed that some people were a little upset about this. I was like, it's free stuff. I like free stuff. Uh, I'm going to take it and use it because it's free. Thank you. Please continue doing uh, that. I would, I like, I like free. Thank you. That's all. Sure. Well, and I think people might be upset because certainly a a free PDF implies that you're actually going to get less stuff for your game than you might if they put out a book you had to pay for. So maybe people are sad that they're going to be getting less stuff. But like I said, if it's all stuff that hasn't been tested or is actually pretty crappy and you're not going to use, why not just put out the good stuff in a PDF and and let people take the the best stuff that they would use in their games there? Yeah, Uh, I mean, I I would be personally surprised if there was enough actual content to make a book that is worth as much as the Player's Handbook for one. They probably thought, oh, maybe we'll be able to make more stuff and make a book. And then they figured out, no, we can't. So let's just put out this supplement. And I think that's that's good. I mean, making up a bunch of filler for people so they'll pay $50 for something is kind of a waste. So Yeah, and it's nice to see Wizards uh, waking up to that. Mike Shea, what do you think about the Adventurer's Handbook being no more? Well, I agree. I, I, I think when we were reading the initial... Um initial description of it it was hard to see how they were going to make an entire book out of it mm-hmm. um and i don't know that you know i kind of like the slower pace that fifth edition has had in in the options that it's put out so I'm, I'm not sad to see it go either and i think that putting out player options is a pdf and it's also included in the adventure itself uh so you know there'll still be a copy at the table if uh players come early and want to work on a character or something like that they can use it but it'll be a little clunky to have it inside the book because the dm is generally going to have the book in front of them but you know the fact that it's available in pdf i think is a good idea yeah and i think it also sets a good precedent so like you said how much stuff can you come up for elemental evil you know how many how many different classes and archetypes and new races and stuff could you come up with and it's a good precedent then that they're not trying to make an adventurer's handbook for every single adventure path that comes out because if they get to a point where it's like you know uh, against the giants if they're redoing an adventure path like that you know how many giant slaying archetype classes <laughs> can One. you come up yeah. with <laughs> <laughs> right exactly exactly so and it kind of already exists in the ranger mm-hmm. dave gibson what do you think are you sad to see the adventurer's handbook go was well, i'm a little bit sad i'm it would be nice to have another book on that shelf and uh something more content for the game but it was, was looking at it and it was really expensive it was 40 dollars Wizards tends to put out 160-page accessories, so it was a lot of money for possibly not a lot of content. So having that just folded into the um, the Princess of Apocalypse book, okay, that makes sense. And it also makes that book probably larger and bigger and worth more money because it's also even more money at $50. So. 
so let's get into the adventure path then a little bit. Elemental Evil is coming to Forgotten Realms, and it's been confirmed through some tweets that this is the same Elemental Evil that uh, has plagued Greyhawk for a long time. Elemental Evil is a force that exists within the D&D multiverse, which has been also confirmed as the default setting by uh jeremy crawford in another tweet um so what implications do you think this has for the story uh do we think it's going to be a very similar storyline obviously we'll probably see some of the same uh elemental princes and stuff uh rearing their ugly heads and that sort of thing um what kind of implications does this have for this adventure path? And what do you hope to see in the adventure path? Uh, let's start with you, Mike. I, I hope to see Cryonax. Ah, yes. I yes. think Cryonax is going to get, if I had to bet, I'd say he's going to get a raw deal and, and not be included. <laughs> um, and I think that's sad. Um, I don't know. It, it'll be, I don't know that it'll be terribly difficult to get uh, the whole elemental evil storyline into the Forgotten Realms. Um, it should I think it should fit pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually I have a harder time with the idea yeah. that it seems like there are world shaking events happening in the realms like every three weeks now. <laughs> and it's just, you know, like if you were Lord Never Ember, you'd be like, you know what? I quit. Like, <laughs> I don't need one more cult, you know, hanging right outside my gates, right ready to destroy the world. Somebody, I'm going to go buy a farm and, you know, head out and let somebody else deal with this because, you know. I just got rid of Tiamat, and now I've got to deal with this. <laughs> what? What if? What if? Hmm? What if uh, he conjured the elemental evil guys and summoned <laughs> them because he's so sick of dealing with cults? And he's like, you know what? Forget it. Screw you guys. Everybody dead. Right? Yeah, That'd be right. a twist. I would, I would I'd be get behind twist. that. <laughs> I uh, I do think it is funny, and your point is correct, Mike. You know, we were promised like, oh, the end of the realm shaking events has happened with the sundering, uh, but that is not really true. It's just that you know things that reorganize continuity and planes colliding together have ended, but there are still these enormous threats to the world uh, that are that are happening one right after the next. I mean, when I think of the end of uh, realms shaking things, it does not so much to me mean that the adventures aren't going to be big world world shaking events in that sense. Just that uh, it's going to be presumed that the good guys win, I guess, from now on. So, like, time at team at didn't take over. So, good job, guys. <laughs> the world stayed the same for once. <laughs> so great. Let's keep that. Let's keep that pattern going. You know, we're not going to be changing the face of the realms anytime soon, um, but they are going to keep things interesting uh, with cool villains and threats that make the players feel important. And I think you sort of need to do that, too, with organized play, right? If it's happening over here on the Sword Coast, it's also got to happen over here because Expeditions is going to be doing something. And then the cons, we got the Epic Games going. So that's uh, what we're we're going to see. John Fisher... What do you hope to see in this adventure path and storyline? And what sort of implications do you think we've been getting so far? Well, so one thing I would really like to see, uh, I, I don't actually know how, how well this would work, but something I would really like to see is to have overt references within the adventure to uh, these other settings. If, if, it's the sa- if, it, if they really want to treat it like it's the same elemental evil, like literally the same thing, not just... This, not just the Forgotten Realms version of that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that could be a good way to sort of bring people into these uh, other settings. And it might help appease some of the people who, uh, you know, want something that's not the Forgotten Realms, because as much as the default setting is the multiverse, right now it's the Forgotten Realms. Like that's, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the de facto default. Yeah, you, the, the, yeah, there's the, there's de facto and de jour. And I, I agree. I think that, I think that, uh, the real default right now is Forgotten Realms. So if they want to make the multiverse the default, bring that in through this adventure somehow. Like if there's going to be, if you have to access the different planes, maybe you're accessing the different planes through Sigil or some other thing, like get get a lot of worlds in on this. I think that could be cool. But, you know, who knows? 
Maybe that would actually turn out to be really lame. I'm not an adventure writer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it does provide, you know, when they are ready to take organized play perhaps into another realm with another adventure path, you know, this is laying the groundwork for you can get to Eberron and you can get to, you know, your Adventurer's League character who played in this game in Forgotten Realms can go to Ravenloft and that sort of thing. I'm going to run along with what John was saying, actually. Let's let's see them back up their talk about the multiverse being the default and have you fighting the elemental evil throughout the multiverse, right? I mean, level 15 is late enough that you could be hopping around all sorts of different places, I would imagine. So I think that'd be a really cool way to sort of turn that statement into fact, because right now it doesn't seem like a fact based <laughs> on the evidence that we have. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, to me, one of the one of the ways you kind of have these world shaking events at high level is to the the minute they start to become world shaking is the minute that the the PCs leave whatever realm they're in, and then they're dealing with you know multiverse level problems, and the farmers that are back you know working on you know putting their night soil into the ground uh, have no idea that their world is even being saved, and that's a little. You know that that's a little easier to take than the idea that like every three days, you know, another uh, you know primordial crawls out of the ground and causes some kind of problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it sort of goes along with the why would anyone ever live in Gotham City? Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> Move. Right. <laughs> why why anyone lives on the Sword Coast by now is totally beyond me. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. the rent is so cheap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the last time. We don't have to worry. You know. What are the odds <laughs> we're going to get hit again? Right, right. How many demon princes can rise? I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Apparently four. <laughs> uh, Dave Gibson, what do you think about this adventure path? I want to see the original Temple of Elemental Evil not make an appearance. I want that to stay in Greyhawk, and I don't yes, want to move into the Forgotten Realms. Hmm. I'm a little tired of cultists <laughs> popping up. There's been a lot of cult <laughs> adventures. It's it's you cult mm-hmm. of Tiamat, and then all of a sudden it's the cult of elemental evil. So it'd be nice to see um, the elemental followers not be an overt cult. And also, we need to visit the other planes, not just have the elemental evil be entirely confined mm-hmm. to the realms, but also travel to the elemental planes, have a little adventure in the city of brass. Yeah, I almost feel like the city great. of brass is something that's always. Um, mentioned and thrown out there as an amazing site that doesn't actually see a lot of attention it's just this really cool place to visit that no one ever no one actually ever goes to well and i also wonder is it going to be a similar thing where you know you have to stop a ritual from opening a portal so they can bring forth like a primordial or, or the elemental, you know what I mean? Like, is it going to be, I read somewhere, (laughs) I read somewhere that they said there are four, there are four keys that you have to get or something. (laughs) I was like, didn't we just talk about this? Like all or nothing, man. Don't have four keys. (laughs) So dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Those all or nothing adventures. uh, And, and they're just like dragon masks, right? Like it's, it's going to be a very similar thing. If you don't have a (laughs) MacGuffin, how can you have a plot, James? <laughs> MacGuffins are great. It's the four MacGuffins. Right. And right. the fact that if any one of them gets thrown into an ocean, the adventure's over. <laughs> like, let's talk five, six. Oh, I feel like boy. I've read a really good article about this somewhere, but where could it have been? <laughs> Damn. Some hack website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if SlyFlourish.com wants to sponsor this podcast, I'm more than happy to buzzmark them. <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that's what I was doing. <laughs> You are, you are. We get the Mike Shea bump whenever you come on. So yeah. I mean, you know, his appearances aren't usually free. <laughs> uh, Greg, what do you think about this adventure path? I'm honestly a little wary by this point. Based on all the cultist stuff and the, you know, as we said, all or nothings. I, I really hope this isn't kind of like the same thing, but with a different flavor. <laughs> you know, I feel like the adventures have been kind of video gaming for lack of a better kind of description because i I guess i'm not that creative but it just seems like oh you got to fetch these things oh you don't game over Mm. or like you absolutely oh cutscene just kidding you can't actually stop this guy i just really hope they don't do that (laughs) 256 to 320 range uh according to the man Mm -hmm. jeremy crawford but that's I mean, if it's all just kind of that same sort of stuff, it's really not worth that much to me. 
the one, one thing I wanted to mention is the fact that it's a whole different publishing studio. Sasquatch Games is doing this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting if it ends up being similar. That kind of speaks poorly for, you know, us adventure writers that we can't seem to get our anybody out of the groove enough to write, you know, a true tabletop sort of adventure rather than, you know, everything is some variation of Dragon Age. Well, since it is another studio, we don't know how much communication was going on between Cobalt Press and Sasquatch Games. So it could easily be that they just didn't know what uh, Cobalt Press is doing with cultists and gathering the objects. And so somewhere there's Rich Baker or Sasquatch Games going, ah, that was my plot. It's got some so derivative now. Everyone's going to hate it. (laughs) Sasquatch Games is creating the adventure, but I do think that Wizards of the Coast is keeping a a tight leash probably on the story. Mm -hmm. So we we hear them talk all the time about the story Bibles that they make and and that sort of thing. You know, they've certainly set the tone for what is to come. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Cover art that they put out of the four princes looks pretty badass. Mm-hmm. I would like to call out the uh, the creative use of some of the other races, like the idea of a Medusa. Yeah, right. The the, the the avatar or general of Elemental Earth. Great idea. That's just like brilliant. Yeah, a male yeah. Medusa. Yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. I really am hopeful that um, you know the encounters and the sort of mechanical information that you get is is stuff that you're going to be able to pull into other adventures. That Tyranny of Dragons is great for that. Uh, you know, you have whole dungeons in there that are really well designed and that sort of thing. So that's really what I look for in an adventure is how can I cannibalize it and, and make it my own. So I'm excited to see what we're going to have with Elemental Evil. And I know that my players are excited to see what sort of options they're going to have in a free PDF. I do have one question for you guys. How many of you expect to be done with the Tyranny of Dragons campaign before this comes out? Mm. I'm going to try, and it's going to be hard. <laughs> like I, I haven't even gotten to the second one yet. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, where are you right now, Mike? Uh, we're in Chapter 6. Wow. So we got chapters, the rest of Chapter 6, 7, and 8 before we even start the next one, and, and I don't think I'm going to get through it in time and i don't know what i'm going to do <laughs> you you have to start over with characters for elemental evil right because yeah i mean what the, the problem that i have is i have an organized play casual game mm. that will probably want to start this new season but they'll have like these level 14 characters that are at the end of tyranny <laughs> and probably the best thing would just be this for this particular group say well we're just going to keep going with this mm-hmm. and keep going with tyranny and we'll start that start the next one but um, yeah. I don't know. I'll have to start moving along pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you can get a, a second DM to start Elemental Evil and on another uh, night. Probably. Or something. Yeah. But I don't want another DM to do it. <laughs> you yeah. could run I want through to do it. on another night. Uh, Extracurricular activities. I'm maxed out, man. I got three games a week. Oof. What? <laughs> First world problems. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of other ways to spend your free time, guys, the Neverwinter MMO is following suit and they are going to have their own elemental evil module added to the game. And it sounds like we're going to see a lot of things they're, they're talking about as their biggest module to date. They're going to have uh, holy oath-bound paladins, and there are going to be cults of elemental evil that players will be fighting against. They're going to increase their level cap from 60 to 70. New quests, feats, slottable class feature powers. They're, they're giving it the works. Um, as they like to say. So Neverwinter MMO, I have dabbled. Uh, I have not uh, ever had a serious commitment, mostly because if I did have a serious commitment, I wouldn't do anything else. So, but I know we have uh, varying degrees of people who have played the Neverwinter MMO. Dave Gibson, uh, have you played the Neverwinter MMO and are you excited for this new module? I played the MMO and I was not thoroughly impressed. So you take that with a grain of salt, anything I'm about to say. Uh, it'd be interesting to get up to level 70 and be able to solo Tiamat, I guess, since we get more and more powerful, which seems weird. But uh, it's good on them for continuing to have their success. Gotcha. And more classes are always good. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. What is it that you don't like about the Neverwinter MMO? It's I find it kind of samey and grindy, and the story it, particularly weak initially. It just didn't grab me for a while. It's 
was not a good fun ex- play experience. It's gotcha. a big, huge, epic thing, and then you're immediately launched into uh, recovering a crown, and then the story just proceeds to jump around and doesn't seem to follow up on the initial hook for a while. Well, Mike Shea recently published an article over at Sly Flourish about uh, why you should uh, start playing the Neverwinter MMO. Mike, are you I, excited? For I this don't update? believe I actually said that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I don't sorry. know that, you know, I, I don't know that I would go so far as to say you, anybody should play this game. <laughs> my, my article was, if you do, here are some things you might want to consider. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I certainly misspoke. Uh, yeah, well, so I, I actually got back. So I played a bit of Neverwinter and my wife played a bit of Neverwinter. We're both massive online geeks on top of D&D Geeks. Uh, she had played actually longer than I did for a while, and I kind of quit because the marketing aspects of it drove me crazy. Mm. Um, it's just like everything is for sale, and it's all for sale with different currencies. You don't yeah. play Dragonborn? You gotta get right. Dragonborn. Right, right, no. exactly. Or or here, here, look at this fancy treasure chest, and you can get dozens of them, but the keys cost money, <laughs> right? So there's all these like little tricky bits, and I was like, ah, screw it. So I quit, and um, but then when the uh, Cult of the Dra- the uh, uh, Rise of Tiamat modules came out, and there were two of them for Neverwinter. Um, I said I looked at it, and actually they said like you know you can start these modules at like level twenty six or twenty seven, and it doesn't take long to get to twenty six or twenty seven. So I said, oh, let me go give it a shot. And over three weeks, after three weeks, I beat Tiamat. Wow! So you can actually get really far really quickly in that game, and actually get to the end game. Now, as people in my pickup guild told me, yeah, you were there when Tiamat died. That doesn't mean you beat Tiamat, right? Because there's there's a fair bit of like, um, you know, you there's actually a fair bit of of angst in the game that once you hit a certain level and got to a minimum, what they call a gear score, which is a, roughly the level of the equipment that you have. W- once you hit this minimum, which you can do pretty easily. Um, you can go in and fight Tiamat, but you're not actually that effective against her until your gear score is about double that. Um, so, so, you know, it means you're getting carried by other people, but I don't care. Right. They basically so, said you're just a casual. Yeah, you're just a casual and, and, you know, you were only there and, and actually there's a bunch of weird tricks about how you get in with the, with the powerful people instead of all the, all the lame people so that you know which one you're going to beat. And it's actually pretty tricky. It's, it's a really weird in-game sort of system that they've got where all the powerful people get together and say we're all going to enter the zone at exactly this time and we're only going to tell people with that gear score so all you have to do is find one of those people and then follow them in, and then you can <laughs> sneak in. so that's what i did so that was tricky but my, my point was it actually you know given how long like i, I was an everquest player and, to, and i never got to the end game content you know i played ten thousand hours of everquest and still didn't get to the end game content oh. So, you know, you can spend a lot of time in an MMO and not actually see the stuff. This one, I played significantly less than that and still got to not only see Tiamat, but actually defeat her and got the Tiamat, you know, Tiamat Slayer title. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one. I'd say my, my biggest gripe is that, boy, I really don't want to start another character and have to go through those lame-ass intro quests again. <laughs> um, I, I think, actually, they're, they're not terrible. There's, this, there's some interesting storylines that take place, but the storylines are pretty linear, and once you've done them, you don't really don't want to do them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of, like, oh, now you can play a paladin, and you're like, oh, you know, like, I don't want to have to go back and save that woman who it turns out that the wizard that's trying to save her is actually the bad guy. I already know that. Right. Like, can, whoa, can whoa, I just whoa. stab him spoilers. as soon as I see him? Yeah. So, um, yeah, spoilers. So, uh, so I, I you know, I, it, what I would be excited about is if they had some other leveling chain or some other, you know, and of course they're like, well, you can buy your way up to the top. Um, but if there was some other path where you could do some content and actually with the cult of the dragon stuff, they, they sort of had it by having a whole separate set of daily quests that you could do that actually earned you pretty significant experience that were not part of the normal storyline. So you were at least leveling faster than you would have leveled if you just did the story. Um, so I'm, I'm interested. I'm going to, you know, it's free. So like my, I always feel like the commitment is nothing but the time I put in. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm definitely going to play it. Nice. And, I, and, and for the record, I really liked what they did with the, the, the Tyranny of Dragons stuff, like the Well of Dragons zone is really cool you know and and tiamat is fantastic like when you when you fight her like you know there's no way to even capture the scope of that even in the tabletop game just because you don't have 70 people fighting her 
Just to come into a slight defense of Neverwinter, <laughs> which is ironic, but you, there is the, the the forge. I think it is the fan, yeah, content, which you can right. actually go through to level up a character and play entirely different quests, which yeah. is both a, a very big benefit to Neverwinter, but also a bit of a shock because I hear a lot of the the forge stuff is actually better than the official quest stories that, and get the stuff. That's actually true, but you can't really you're not going to level nearly as fast doing that as you would if you just did the dumb quests. That's my only problem. Like, you're right. And that actually is one way to make that game really last. And, and I've done that regularly. Like, I have a regular group of friends and we play. And that's what we do because those are fun to go through. But they're, they're not good for leveling up. Or we, I haven't found it to be good for leveling up. That's kind of interesting, actually. I didn't know about the Forge stuff. I've only dropped... I've dropped. It's not even enough hours to say that I dropped it in. I played Neverwinter for about two hours. Because um, I thought, hey, D&D, that's cool. It's a game. I like games. But it turns out that I don't know. I guess I just not really huge on MMOs, and it seemed it was very fourth ed yeah. to me. And uh, fourth ed was cool a little bit. Like uh, I was kind of down with it, but as soon as fifth hit, I purged anything related to fourth from my brain. So I don't know. It just wasn't for me. <laughs> it sounds like they did a lot of awesome stuff and you make a good point mike about the the 70 on time at battle that's actually sounds really awesome that kind of sense of scale it actually reminds me of how in fifth ed you know like maybe you can get a whole town together and kill a dragon so you know with the um fixed ac kind of stuff um so one can i i want to give a theory really quick and and this is my first ability to give a public theory and i want to run you guys through the math so one of the problems that i had with uh the neverwinter mmo and the rise the rise of tiamat module was that you would go to these battlegrounds and you would fight like 15 iron golems in a row and i looked at that and and you would just fight onslaughts of cultists that are like level 60 cultists and i'm thinking to myself like how in the hell do you pay for all this like how much money do they have like they're pouring money into the well right right and they're buying apparently hundreds of iron golems right <laughs> but then i figured it out and it has to do with the value of astral diamonds in the game so do you guys know how much an astral diamond is worth in 4th edition this is uh, a pop. It's 10,000 gold pieces? It was 1 million gold pieces. Whoa. Right? One astral diamond is worth 1 million gold pieces. Do you know how much an astral diamond is worth in actual U.S. currency? Is it like $100 to $1 or something? It is 100. It's 1 million astral diamonds for $20. No. <laughs> so if you go with the multiverse idea, a cultist <laughs> could go into our world, you know, earn $20, buy a million astral diamonds, then go into back into their world and spend the million astral diamonds on whatever that is, you know, a <laughs> hundred trillion gold pieces. And therefore they can afford the entire campaign. That is some serious arbitrage going on. Yes. Uh, right. Think about those. that. Think about what that does to the economy. Like, <laughs> you know, how much do you want? How much is it at this end? Oh, that'll be 150,000 gold pieces for the night. You only have to do it a few times to make it worth your while. So, <laughs> so next season in game, PCs will be searching for Bitcoin. And then they can use that in real life. So that's, I think if I could good. grind Bitcoins while I was playing, that would be very useful. It's almost turning to EVE online or something. Yeah. Uh, John Fisher, you, uh, I believe, have not played the Neverwinter MMO. Is that correct? I know nothing, James. So I know nothing. Let me ask you, does something like this elemental evil module make you want to play the Neverwinter MMO? Um, no, but it's not because of, uh, D&D or Wizards of the Coast or anything like that. It's just it, the amount of time, it's similar to you, the amount of time that I think I would have to put into that is prohibitive, uh, for all the other things I do in my life. Uh, and so that's just, it's just unfortunately not something I can fit in. In that sense, it doesn't appeal to me, but it's not actually that it doesn't appeal to me at all. It's just, you know, I need to be able to go and buy groceries and... The MMO and the and the uh, encounters season last season they're both Tyranny of Dragons right so how how much overlap story wise was there uh, between the two or was it just that at the end you're fighting Tiamat? There was it was a fair bit. Um, I mean I guess some of it wasn't because because it you know I'm running both the tabletop module and ran through the whole campaign in in. Um, the game they have the five factions they have npcs who kind of put you on faction quests 
Uh, I think the scope of it feels much bigger in Neverwinter because you just feel like, like I said, that dragon cultists are everywhere and they're powerful. Um, and, you know, they're just, it feels like they're really invading. And you're like, I just don't know where they got all these people. Um, but they, and they have some callbacks like Severin is in it. You know, Severin is the NPC who kind of narrates things before the Tiamat fight. And then you go and beat the crap out of Severin and he dies in like three seconds. Um, they have some ties to the Red Wizards of Thay. There's a, there's a named, uh, a named, I don't want to say too many spoilers, but there's a named Red Wizard in the tabletop module that is also in, um, he, he actually has an interesting role in the MMO because at one point he's an ally to you instead of the guy, but then he shows up again as a, a villain. Uh, there's a few other NPCs that you see in the well of uh, in the well of dragons area um, that uh, are in the module and, and kind of have ties. So it's not it's not one to one at all, but there are certainly callbacks. And I actually found it useful to play the campaign in the MMO because it gave me some ideas about things that I could add to the uh, tabletop one. I mean, I, I know MMOs are fundamentally different than from a tabletop game, but like, was the um... Was the idea of the dragon masks at all involved, or were those just not something? I don't. That- I don't know that they ever really tied into them. I, I don't remember. Um, they they certainly had a few quests here and there, but uh, I don't. I don't think they ever touched the dragon masks. Severin had them at the end. Like okay. you could you could see his NPC was certainly wearing the the you know the multi headed dragon mask. You know they have the same story bible that's getting passed around. Uh, right. It makes it sound like there's only one. I, there's copies of it, uh, but I know that you know when we talked to them, they said that they are and they're on conference calls almost daily with the guys at Watsi. Um, you know, so they are doing their best to to tie things together, um, but not necessarily make the, it all the same story, so that yeah. people who play everything like Mike can get a different experience and a different story in each place. Yeah, I feel like it was two different two different stories. Mm-hmm. You know, like the same world and it certainly feels like the Forgotten Realms and the names are nice, but I don't I don't have any feeling that the game that I'm running is in the same world as the game I'm playing in, you know, and never went in the MMO. Like it just again because of scale, you know, right. like everywhere I run there's 300 cultists and then the, if in the other one it's like you might actually have to work pretty hard to find six. <laughs> Because oh, people sure. are talking about the amount of time that it takes. And, and uh, because I played through Steam, I was able to actually tell exactly how long it took me. Oh, and I played, no. I played 120 hours. Um, oh, that's actually not that bad. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's my, that's not bad that's my at point. All. It's, it's, it's not actually that bad. Like, like my Skyrim time is far longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to play it at pretty much as a single player game. And again, you know, get to Tiamat and all that. And some of that was like figuring out the economy of the bazaar. Uh, it turns out that to get the gear score you need to see Tiamat, you can buy your way there. And if you're willing to spend $5 of real life money, you'll save yourself like another hundred hours in grinding for gear. <laughs> and I, and I found it worth paying the five bucks. Um, so yeah, so it's actually not nearly as bad as like world of Warcraft. I mean, even world of Warcraft isn't that bad compared to EverQuest. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are, they, I think this is an order of magnitude smaller than Warcraft, which is an order of magnitude smaller than EverQuest or bigger than, you know, yeah. Sure, and five bucks to speed up your play a little bit for 120, like five bucks for 120 hours of entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, guys, we're talking about uh, computer games. We're talking about tabletop role-playing games. Let's talk about the Temple of Elemental Evil board game that will be coming out. It's part of the Adventure System board games that we've seen. The Castle Ravenloft, uh, The Wrath of a Shardalon, Legend of Drizzt, Cooperative board game this is part of that system so it sounds like uh you know it should be able to work with in all of those uh you know that that you can bring in characters and monsters and tiles and everything from the other adventure systems uh it's got a retail price of 65 bucks it's coming in april it's definitely set in forgotten realms because they reference the sword coast and there is going to be a temple of elemental evil uh i I wonder if this has any implications for the tabletop role-playing game uh that we will see a temple of evil once again And, and i'm wondering are you guys excited to see this do you want to play this board game greg blair first off i'll just throw this out there i think at least two other people are going to agree with me i really can't wait for them to that well that they keep going back to 
for all their old modules. I can't wait for that to run dry so they can <laughs> stop having things that are called the same. I think that's um, going to happen. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very big well. I know. It just it just makes me so... Oh, third edition. Let's have another Temple of Elemental Evil. Oh, fourth. Fifth. Oh, you know, you know we, need, we need to keep on the Borderlands, guys. That's what we got to get. Yeah. You know, like I like, every I like single red. time. Oh, you can keep begging, time. Greg. It's never happening. I know. It's, I guess if I could print money, I would too, right? I mean, but so I have a question actually before I understand, like talk about whether I want to play this or not. It sounds really cool. Have any of you guys uh, played through, gotten them? Because $65 sounds like a heck of a lot of money to me for a board game. I have played them. They are a lot of fun. I guess the best way to describe it is it's kind of like fourth edition light as far as the rules go. You know, you have uh, at will and daily powers and that sort of thing. And it is also like fourth core it's very hard <laughs> uh the you you really have to cooperate and work together as a group to beat the game and even then sometimes the odds just aren't in your favor um i i would say i've died uh and had a total party kill about the same number of times that uh i have succeeded in the game uh has anybody else who's played had that same experience yeah, it's I have uh I think I have better odds with Pandemic than I do with Castle Raven Life at times. It is a hard game. They're they're challenging, but it's cooperative, which is fun. So you get it there, you play it a couple times with a bunch of friends. Mm-hmm. You can even play it with yourself. And then if you wipe, you just reset the board and try again. And Man, it's fun in italics. I, I don't know about you guys, I just cheat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who's gonna tell? Right? right. Like I so you know they I think that was the one that has like the healing surge tokens. Oh yeah, and the whole you get two healing surges right. amongst and your so entire I party. Just, yeah. I just gave us five. Oh. <laughs> right? And then, you know, and then what you could do is say like, well, for the victory condition it's two, but for the like, you know, the 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 loser condition, but you still get to finish the campaign is, you know, more than two. Yeah. And that way you at least get to finish it. <laughs> okay. So, based on what these guys what you all just told me, Yes, this sounds awesome because <laughs> it sounds like they basically addressed one of the things I hated the most about Fourth was that it was like too easy. Never felt scared ever. Yes, yeah, it's just not easy like that. Yeah. But you get murdered all the time here, so that sounds awesome to me. <laughs> John, have I believe you have not played these games before? Is that correct? No, <laughs> I want to play it, and I can already tell my wife does not want to play it well that's what i was going to say john you certainly play a lot of games um you and your wife play many many games at your house so i was wondering if this was a thing that interested you at all um so it's good to hear that this is piquing the interest of uh people who have not played before uh let's turn to the people who have played dave uh is this something that interests you do you want to add this to your collection no, kind of an asterisk. <laughs> I have a couple of the adventure system games before already, and it might, would be neat if it was a different system, like fifth edition, like it was more 5e and less 4e. But I can completely understand why they wanted to make it uh, backwards compatible. So I'll accept that. So it's I'm happy they're making it, and I'm glad they're making it for uh, new players and people who didn't get into the adventure system games already. But I have a lot of board games already and a couple of those adventure system games already so i don't really need more if it was like a, a 20 dollar accessory i could slap onto castle ravenloft maybe but it's i don't think i'm gonna pay the the 65 or 120 dollars canadian whatever it's gonna be to i can't justify that purchase <laughs> it's, they are well worth <laughs> tokens and minis which are kind of usable in the game and you and the, the actual role-playing game so you can spend that money and if you're a good painter you can paint up the minis and they look really good they're you know bones quality sculpts so, so it's it's a good value for 65 bucks and also you know board game you can play by yourself or with friends but and it's easy enough that i've played several games with my in-laws who are ruled and mm-hmm. have no experience at all with D and it's easy enough for them to play and get into and suffer through as we tpk multiple times <laughs> wait so the minis aren't even painted for 65 dollars no they're just that's rough um 
so then the the stuff you get in the game it's compatible right so you can mix all the sets but i guess it's randomized as you play so you're saying it wouldn't be worth it enough to add the extra random elements or whatever to a game if it was like a 20 dollars expansion pack with like new discs or new um hexes or whatever that's probably not hexes this is dnd what am i thinking um <laughs> So it wouldn't be enough then for like a $65 expansion pack, essentially. Not for me, just because um, I, have, I haven't played through all the scenarios of what I have already. And even if I was, there's enough replay value that I, I feel like I haven't quite, there's a lot of value left in what I have already without having to add another whole other set of scenarios and tiles and monsters. Right. Cool. Yeah, and just to be clear, you don't need the other sets to play this. It, it is t- entirely standalone, and you can play. So it is its own game, but it can be played in conjunction with the other games as well. Yeah, I was just thinking about the Voltron potential, that's all. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's someone out there with more disposable income than me, with more free time, who's played all of them, who is very happy to play this, and very happy to pay it again. <laughs> that That would be me. <laughs> all the power to you <laughs> look he's right there <laughs> yeah mike tell us um so i've, I've had i have all three of the previous uh, i think i gave away two of them though um but one one thing about the mix and match that i liked is there were certain creatures like wrath of a Shardalon, i think was the most interesting or for me was the most interesting scenario but uh, the legend of drizzt one was the the better designed one mm-hmm. um so take but but like wrath had like some i think there were a couple of a really annoying creatures that just the thing that they did when they showed up made the whole game more complicated and slowed everything down and you couldn't build the map right and it was always like if they showed up you just quit so you could actually pull them out and then stick in guys from ravenloft that weren't as annoying and it made the game kind of run better uh so that was one way of mixing and matching that actually made the the you know the the sum was better than the individual parts um I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't, yeah, I've got Legend of Drift sitting right over there and I don't think I've touched it in two years uh, and I'll probably buy this one and I'll probably play it twice and then put it on the shelf and not play it for two years. But I did paint all the minis and the minis are all in my regular collection and I use them regularly. So that, that's, you know, that's one plus for me. Um, I do agree. I hope it's more fifth edition like, mm-hmm. and I don't know that it will be because I have a feeling that they kind of, they, they kind of outsource this whole thing to uh, WizKids, right? And my guess is WizKids looked at the old rulebook and said, sure, we can do that. Um, and I bet you they didn't really say like, you know, I, I bet you there wasn't a lot of people that sat down really thinking like, okay, we have a new fifth edition of D&D. This has always been sort of the D&D introduction. You know, how do we play when no one wants to DM? Uh, how do we make it feel more like the stuff we've got today? I hope they did. And I hope it is like that. But I would bet it's not just because it is compatible with the old ones. And, um, and I just, I bet they didn't put, uh, you know, I'm not, maybe I'm being pessimistic, but I don't think they put that kind of thought into it. How do you make it very fifth edition-y and still keep it compatible, I think is the, the big yeah. question. And yeah, off the top of my head, just one thing would be just what you name the powers, right? Like there is a lot of power name, like a lot of the cards in the other ones were named after fourth edition powers that didn't have any real connection to some of the spells and some of the abilities that you saw in earlier editions of D&D. So if they actually took the names of powers and spells from fifth and used it, even though the rest of the mechanics are the same, at least you're getting closer. That's the only thing I can think of that they could have done. Because, yeah, Maybe. the problem is if it's compatible, it's, it's the system is going to be the same. Renaming healing surges into hit dice, maybe something like that. Well, well, we, yeah, we still, yeah, exactly. Replacing the healing surges with hit dice, although that's doesn't, you know, the problem is it doesn't make any sense at all because there's no, <laughs> there's no dice anywhere around. It is not even really hit dice. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know, uh, but even still, like even if it's just like the other ones, I, I'm hoping that they kind of went back and refined it. And just watching the refinement of um, Ravenloft to a Shardalon to Legend of Driz, like Legend of Driz had some really good ideas in it. Um, and it was just a lot of fun to play. And you really, like, it got to feel like an epic game, you know, like you're fighting Balors and you're fighting dragons and you're fighting, you know, big things. And it, it, it felt some, in some cases more heroic than what you typically fight in a and d game. <laughs> um, the other interesting competitor to this now is the Pathfinder card game, which right. actually feels to me more like a and d game than this does. Shots um, fired. <laughs> yeah well i mean and like i play both and i love both um but the 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 main difference is in the card game you actually have an ongoing storyline and an ongoing campaign that you'll play from session to session 
and your character actually gets better and sort of levels up as you go. What? Yeah, Come on, that's a night. It's it's neat. You know, it's it's, a, it's the card good. game's really neat, and the you know the way you explore locations feels like exploring a location. You know, more so like it, it doesn't have a map or anything like that, but you kind of are facing like these encounter decks, and you go through the encounter decks, and it's a lot of fun. So it'll be interesting to kind of compare this with that, and they're both about the same price point, I think. But just for the minis alone, I'll get use out of it. One major difference, though, is the card game. You, If you really plan on continuing to play it, you have to buy the expansion packs because mm. those are essentially the extra modules. So when I say like you go through a major campaign, that's the core game plus, I think, six decks of wow. yeah, at $20 each. So by the time you go through Holy the whole campaign, crap. you've put a lot of money into it. And it's not really replayable. So this is probably a better deal. That's true. Uh, however, I guess you could work your way through the modules for for these things, right? And then, uh, yeah, but you can also write your own modules that. for this much easier. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I bet there's a bunch on. And they do that. Yeah there, yeah, there was a bunch for the other ones. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering why the adventure book is still called Prince of the Apocalypse when there's no other books called that. Why not just call it Elemental Evil? <laughs> Yeah, well, I wonder if it's because they still, because they're doing all of these other elemental evil things, they want to tie into it, you know, and, and so they're giving the adventure its own name, but it's coming under the elemental evil umbrella. Yeah, I really, I really like that it's got an awesome name, like Princess yeah. of the Apocalypse. I, I just, cool name, yeah. <laughs> I just, just hear Queen blasting constantly when I read that, so I'm okay with that. All right, cool. Well, where can people find you, Greg Blair? I go on the Twitters sometimes at NTS underscore QPOP, QPOP. Nice. And where can people find you, John Fisher? You can find me on Twitter as well, at The Last Fisher. Nice. And where can people find you, Mike Shea? com and Twitter.com slash SlyFlourish. And Dave Gibson, where can people find you? It's uh, www.5mwd.com. That's 5-Minute Workday, my webcomic blog. I'm throwing some 5th edition stuff on there already. Open game license be damned. <laughs> and I also am on Twitter at, at DNDJester. Excellent. And people, if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening. And thanks to Greg, John, Mike, and Dave. Many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.